O come, Holy Spirit. You are here. And we ask you to come into our awareness, come into our consciousness. And may we come to you, O Spirit. Open us up. Because we've come here needing some kind of word from you, God. And we know that if we open ourselves up in, in heart, in body, in mind, that we will not leave here disappointed. So God, may the words of our mouths, and may the meditations of all of our hearts find acceptance in your sight. God, our rock and our redeemer, speak through us or speak in spite of us to these, your people. It's in your name we pray, and we all said together, amen, amen. So our focus for this Advent season this year has been the, the, this idea of come home for Christmas. We've been using all the, a lot of that, those themes, home for Christmas. And I've realized over the last couple weeks, I've realized that I have a few hang-ups with this idea of home that my therapist and I are talking about. Um, my dad is a United Methodist pastor, as I've shared before, and if you've been a part of King Avenue for a while or any United Methodist church for a while, you know that um, we kind of cycle through pastors, we itinerate around um, as, as the bishop, as the cabinet appoints us. Um, so that means that my sisters and I, we grew up in several places around kind of the western half of Ohio. Um, so that means that we, we don't really have a hometown. I don't really know what that means. We, we don't have a home church. My sisters and I don't really have roots in one geographic place that we can come back to. Now, in some moments, I can get kind of down and kind of emo about that, but I don't really share that because I don't really share that. It just means that um, my sisters and I, we just have a different definition of home than what might be typical. And we all really, we have kind of a, the, especially around this time of year, we have what's called a typical understanding of home presented to us um, in every advertising medium available to different business and corporations. We have this typical idea of home presented to us, but each one of us has a different understanding of what home means, what it means to come home for Christmas, or if that even means anything to us. And so maybe yours is classic, going uh, back to your hometown, seeing your family, seeing all the places that you're familiar with, or maybe yours is the home that people come back to, right? Maybe, maybe you're kind of in that, in that area. But I also know that home can be a very uh, fraught conversation for many of us for a number of reasons. If there are tensions, if there are arguments, if there's a estrangement or if harm has been done at home or what we used to call home. And yet, we are talking about home this Advent season. We're journeying toward the day when God made her home among us in the Christ child. And in the, in the gospel text before us today, John is calling us and calling the crowds with him home today. So John here is speaking to other Judeans out in the wilderness by the Jordan River. Now, if we know our stories in the Hebrew Bible, we recognize the Jordan River, don't we? We recognize that place. Um, after the people escaped from Egypt and after they wandered for those 40 years all around the desert, all around the wilderness, they came to the Jordan River, this last geographical barrier 
between where they were and the home that God had prepared for them in the historic promised land that we know it as. So this geographic area that they're in right now is their historic homeland that they'd crossed over, this home that God had prepared for them, as we read about in the first five books of the Hebrew Bible, of our Bibles. But in the historic context that we find ourselves in, in all four Gospels in the whole New Testament, the first century CE, I don't, as I read it, I don't think there's a way that we can understand it where the people are not actually at, at home if you can understand that. The ways that you could be at the house you called home or the place you called home, but you're not really at home. I don't know if we have any understanding of what that's like. But even though they live in what used to be their homeland, various foreign powers have taken it from them over the centuries. The Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Greeks, somewhere along the way Egypt was involved there, and now uh, the Romans are occupying their land. They're a colony of Rome. That's what they are now. So their home has been taken away from them. And John's people, they're coping, they're surviving as colonized, as oppressed people do. And we see what's happening there. I think we can see what's happening there behind the, 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 the three crowds who come up to John in our story today. This whole situation, I think we can see a lot if we dig underneath these three people who come up to John today. So as we heard in the reading after John says that several things, the three groups of people come up to him. First, it's the crowds, just that kind of nebulous group that Luke and all the gospel writers use a lot. The crowds ask him, what should we do? And Jesus said, and not Jesus yet, John says, if you have two shirts, share with the one who has none. If you have food, share with the one who doesn't. Then the tax collectors came up to him. They said, what, what should we do? And John tells them, collect no more than you're authorized to collect. And then the soldiers asked John, what should we do? John tells them, don't cheat, don't harass anyone, be satisfied with your pay. Now, all of that seems very simple, very straightforward. Here are the exact things that you should do. Maybe they're not easy, but here's the list of these very straightforward, seemingly straightforward, ethical things to do. But I think these situations reveal a whole lot about the, the, the these exchanges reveal a whole lot about the situations of, the, of these colonized Judeans under Roman occupation here. So the crowds who come up to them first... John's answer there reveals that there are indeed people among them, many people among them who have next to nothing, and the people with excess, the locals with excess, don't actually have that much. Two shirts or two coats, technically that's more because you only need one at a time, but, but it's, it's only two coats or two shirts. So I think that's a big red flag right off that we're talking about something deeper here. Now, the tax collectors, they come up next, and they're a familiar figure in the Gospels, especially Luke. Um, they, they were hated by their community. At least that's what most scholars think. They're hated by their community because many of them were Judeans, local hometown people that were employed by the Romans to collect taxes. The, the, the colonized and the oppressed employed by their colonizers and oppressors. 
So scholars estimate that something like 90% of the local people were living in poverty and taxation rates, official taxation rates, were somewhere around 30 to 40% there. And it's implied in John's answer here that it was, it was pretty common practice for tax collectors to extort more money from the people above that 30 to 40%. So we're looking at around 50% of what we bring in. So they were, these, these figures were perceived as these Judeans who had betrayed their people to be on the payroll of empire, to keep their people under the thumb of empire. But there's nuance here. It's an, we, we like to keep the bad guys bad, but there's, there's a lot of nuance here because Rome paid the tax collectors, paid them a percentage of what they brought in. That's kind of how they paid them. But that, it wasn't enough to live on. It's not like it was a living wage. Just a percentage. But that, the percentage wasn't a living wage of what they brought, even if they brought in everything. So extorting money from, from the people they were collecting from, that was how they made something close to a living wage. So if, if these tax collectors, if they collected no more than they were authorized to collect, as John tells them to do, then they would be just as poor as everyone else. And they would still be hated by their people. So at least, if they collected more, at least they could live a little more comfortably. Even if they're hated by their community, at least they could live a little more comfortably. Now the soldiers come up here. And the soldiers, um, these probably weren't Roman soldiers. It depends on the commentary you read, but probably not Roman soldiers here. It was probably something like a local militia or local mercenaries that were hired by the Sanhedrin. That's the local ruling council. Um, that they, they rule the local area under Rome, but it's still the local ruling council. They hire, probably hiring out these mercenaries to enforce local law. And again, with John's answer here, it was obviously it was common for them to cheat, to harass people, to extort more money from the people, because apparently the system was just, just ripe for corruption. But we got to think again where they are with these local mercenaries enforcing the local law to, to keep the, I'll use the word peace, it's not real peace, it's just lack of open rebellion. But by, but by doing that, enforcing local law to keep the peace, the Sanhedrin was avoiding a crackdown from the Roman Empire. So really they were choosing the lesser of two evils. A little corruption in the local system was okay if it kept the dissenters, the would-be rebels in their place so that the Roman army wouldn't roll in and start slaughtering and burning as they do often, as they did often. So these are, I'm, at least kind of this picture that I was developing this week as I read this, this, these are the conditions that the people lived in, in their historic homeland. They lived in what was historically their homeland, at least for the people who still live there, who could trace their bloodline all the way back to the 12 tribes. Maybe they're living in what was historically their geographic area of the homeland, but they're not home. They're living in what was historically their home, but they're not really home. Rome took their home away from them. But here's John out in the wilderness at that same Jordan River that the people crossed all those years ago to start this whole thing. And John's out there calling them back home. 
So when Israel originally entered this homeland, crossed the Jordan River to enter this home that God had prepared for them, they had this ancient covenant that we can read about in the first five books of our Bible. They had this ancient covenant. And in this covenant was a lot of stuff. But in this covenant, there were, there were these laws that were meant to prevent all those conditions that were behind those three groups, all of those conditions, all these laws in the original covenant were meant to prevent any of that from happening. People had a responsibility to care for each other. And if the original laws, if the original laws were followed, who knows if they actually were, but as they are laid out, as if we take them at face value, if the original laws were followed, there would be no destitute Israelite. There would be no destitute Israelite. So those were the original conditions when they first entered this home that God had prepared for them. That was home. At that point, they were home. But now Rome is just the latest of all these various world powers who have invaded, who have broken in, who have destroyed their home and and destroyed the way of life this community was meant to live, destroyed all the conditions that made their homeland home. So now the people are not, they're not home. They're just surviving. But John is that voice crying out in the wilderness. Home is still available. Here's how to live into home now. Here's how to come home now. Here's how to cross that Jordan again now. And this way that John proclaims, it is drastically opposed to the world system as it is. I mean, it's seemingly just unsustainable and impossible in the systems of the world as is. But this is life in the kingdom of God where everyone has enough, where everyone is home and everyone has enough. John is just paving the way for the one who will usher in this kingdom. Home is still available. Now for us today, maybe we find ourselves at a similar place as the Judeans. Maybe home was taken away from us as well. Maybe home is simply too far away, whether that's a geographic distance or however we, whatever too far away means for us. Maybe home is just too far away. Maybe family kicked us out and won't return our calls. Maybe we had to move away from what we knew as home. Or maybe we did have home, but we stopped feeling safe there and it's no longer home. Maybe we don't have a hometown. Maybe we, we, we lost all the people we identify as home. Or maybe we just feel rootless. And maybe we've developed these coping mechanisms to deal with that that may or may not be healthy, but they help us to survive. And John still calls out to us today, calling us home today. Home is still available to us today, however far away, however broken that concept is for us. 
And we can find that home in the theme for today. It's the third Sunday of Advent, as you heard when the, as the McAllister family was lighting the Advent candles. Um, this is traditionally the Joy Sunday. Now, our reading from Luke is a weird passage to use for joy because we're called a brood of vipers right off the bat. Or children of snakes or all these other ways to translate that. It's this axe is at the root of the trees. Chaff is about to be thrown into the furnace. I mean, that's not joy. At least I don't think so. Now, the readings we had before that, that Pastor Becky read earlier, that from Isaiah and Zephaniah, well, those are just brimming with joy. Zephaniah especially. Zephaniah says, Sing aloud, O daughter Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter Jerusalem. At that time, I will bring you home. At the time when I gather you. And that's key, because here's where this wild desert preacher calling us home intersects with joy. We are home wherever we find joy. We are home wherever we find joy. Home is still available to us because joy is still available to us. In Sermon Starters this week, we were talking about this, um, the, the situations that make for joy in the unlikely places. I, I wonder if we can remember all the way back to the beginning of the pandemic. We might not want to think back there, but just, just, just for a minute. March 2020 seems like about a decade ago, or it was a year and a half ago. I don't really know. But think back all the way then. I wonder if we remember when we had no idea what was going on. Maybe death is in the air all around us. Maybe anxiety could just be kind of tasted and felt in the air around us. And that, all of that was happening, but also I'm wondering if we can remember, there was, at least for the first just few weeks, I felt, and, and the people at Sermon Starters, we felt, this real sense of kind of a, a camaraderie or a real coming together when the lockdowns first started, where there was a real sense that, we, that everybody was kind of saying, all right, we got to do this thing. We don't want to die, so we're going to come together. It's going to be really hard, but we're going to come together. We're going to do this thing. We're going to get through this thing together. Maybe we remember that happening. It didn't last long. It's easy to forget it because it didn't last long, but it was I, at least I felt it there right at the beginning. So at first, in the midst of all that struggle and all of that suffering, I think there was a still a glimpse of joy there. This reservoir of something that we had to draw on to at least start out this thing. Now for John's audience, colonized and oppressed and beaten down as they were, joy was still available. Home was still available. Not because of, but despite all the ways the system of their world worked. That's what John is saying to these three groups who come up to them. 
These are the conditions that make for joy. Home is still available. Joy is still available. We just won't find it in capitulating or giving in or just staying with the status quo of the system. We are home wherever we find joy. So coming home for Christmas is the, is the theme for this whole Advent season this year. And this is how we can all come home at Christmas. Joy. As I said at the beginning, home can be such a fraught, complex, difficult concept for us. Especially around this time of year. But it's still available to each one of us because we are home wherever we find joy. We find home wherever and whenever we live into this different vision of community. Wherever, whenever we catch a glimpse of this new world order called the kingdom of God that Jesus is bringing about right among us. But coming home this way it is available to all of us, but it requires some mindfulness, which is sometimes often, at least for me, in short supply in this season of the year. Noticing, slowing down. I wonder how we can notice joy. However we define that, whatever joy feels like or looks like to each of us, with how Aaron described it and kind of defined it with the kids earlier, or whatever it feels like to us, I wonder how we can notice it. I wonder how we can notice those moments where things perhaps just align for us. When we get those butterflies in our stomach, when, when our heart just kind of feels full, when the hug is just right and just tight enough, when the food is just right, when, when, when the laughter gets real loud and people start looking at you, when, when we just kind of forget ourselves and sink into a moment of pleasure, however short or long it is, I wonder how we can notice joy. I wonder how we can notice when we are at home. And maybe we can be about that work this week as we continue our journey toward God coming home to us at Christmas. Pray with me. God, we give you thanks for the, home, the, the homes that we have already found. We give you thanks for all those places that we already come home to, whether or not we call them home. And we give you thanks for this yearly reminder that you have already come home to us, that you have already made your home among us, and that we might find our home with you and with your people. So God, we pray 
for eyes to see and ears to hear and a mind to discern and a heart to feel when and where we are at home, when and where we experience joy. Because in joy, we get a glimpse of you, and in joy, we find home. So may we come home, God. It's in your name we pray, and we all said together, amen, amen.